My name is Jonathan Penchoff, and you are listening to Repeating History. History, 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 history. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two. How are you? Super. I'm very glad to hear that. I don't really feel like doing a very long intro today, so let's just get to it, huh? Here we go. In this episode, I want everybody to use your imagination a little bit and pretend that you have a 10-year-old son. Unless, of course, you do have a 10-year-old son, in which case you do not have to use your imagination. But for the rest of us, we have an imaginary 10-year-old son, and we send him off to middle school? (laughs) I guess. I don't know. I actually don't know how old kids are when they go to certain classes. Uh, Clearly, I am not a father. So your kid gets home from presumably middle school, and he takes off his shirt and shows you that he has whip marks across his back. How do you think you're going to respond to that? And what kind of actions do you think should be taken to make this right? Are you going to take this thing all the way to the Supreme Court? Or are you going to handle it with some good old school street justice? Well, in this story, the kid who's getting whipped is the historical equivalent of a rich white kid living in the suburbs. His dad's probably a lawyer, and his mom has spoken to several managers. So you can bet your bottom dollar that this one's going all the way to the king. It's another one from our friend Herodotus of Halicarnassus. And actually, this is the story that inspired me to start my own podcast in the first place. So, without any further ado, let's introduce some of the key players and get this thing going. We'll start with a guy named Astyages. He's the king of the Midian Empire. It's roughly 570 BCE at the time of this story. He has a daughter named Mandani. Now, I want to remind everyone, before I get too far into this, we don't really know exactly how these names would be pronounced. So for the sake of our story, it's Mandani and Astyages. Got it? Cool, let's move on. Astyages has a dream that his daughter takes a piss so bountiful that it floods all of Asia. I'm assuming this dream was time-lapse because otherwise he would probably be in a coma. You know? take a while. So Astyages, being pretty weirded out by the fact that he was dreaming about his daughter urinating, went and saw the Magi. They suggested that this dream means that whatever comes out of his daughter will end up taking over the landmass of Asia. So they say, why don't you send her to Persia to marry a Persian instead of a Mede so then whoever is their offspring can't take over the Median Empire. This seems like pretty sound advice to Astyages, so he sends Mandani to Persia, and she marries Cambyses. But within a year, Astyages has another dream about her. This time, there are vines crawling out of her womb and encompassing all of Asia. If I were to title this dream, I would have called it Vinegina. Coincidentally, at the time of this dream, Mandani is with child, and she's going to have that little dude pretty soon. Astyages consults with the Magi again, 
and this time they tell him that if the child survives, he will grow up to be a king and rule over Asia. Well, that was all he needed to hear. He ordered that little unborn grandchild to death. Now here we're going to introduce another key player. His name is Harpagus, and he is one of the king's generals. He gets summoned by Astyages to come take care of this whole baby problem. Harpagus is not so pumped to have to do this. A, I don't think he really wants to kill a baby. B, he doesn't really want to kill Mandani's baby because technically they're related and the king doesn't have any male heirs. That means that when he eventually dies, the throne will go to Mandani. He doesn't want to have to have wronged her in the past and have to deal with her when she has all that power later. But being a good servant, he tells the king, if this is what you need me to do, I guess I'll just do it. Harpagus ends up taking the child, who for now I'm just going to call the boy. He brings it back to his house, and his wife is like, what is going on? I am also super not a fan of this. He explains to her that it's the king's will, and thine will be done. But maybe, if he has it his way, his hands won't really have to get dirty in the process. Enter stage left, Mitridates. He's the cowherd of the king. Harpagus summons for him and says, Hey bud, I got a little job for you. I want you to take this baby and bring it to one of the wildest parts of the land that you own, where the craziest beasts dwell, and I want you to just leave it there. You can stick around and make sure that it dies, but just make sure that this baby dies, because if he doesn't, I'm going to have to punish you severely. And do not try to pull any fast ones on me here, bud, because I'm going to make sure this baby is dead. I want you to show me his body afterwards, okay? In a pretty common theme here, Mitridates is also not pumped about having to do this. He has a baby of his own coming soon, and I imagine that his sympathies are at an all-time high right now. He mournfully brings the baby back to his house. His wife is pretty flustered because Harpagus doesn't usually summon him like this, so she was already concerned about what was happening. But when he gets there and tells her the story, she is grief-stricken. She says, I just don't think we can do this. Like, there has to be another way. Mitridates says, I really don't think there is. Like, I have to show proof that this baby is dead. And I was threatened with a pretty not-chill punishment if I don't follow through with this. Mitridates' wife's priorities might be a little off because she now finally takes this opportunity to say, Oh, shit, you know that baby that we were going to have? Well, I had it while you were gone, and it was a stillborn. What if we take this royal baby and raise it as our own, and then take our stillborn baby, dress it up in this royal garb, put it out in the wild, call Harpagus to see it, and then everyone wins. No new lives are unjustly lost because we strangely and conveniently already have this baby corpse. Yikes, that's pretty grisly. You have to admit, it's a pretty good plan though, and Mitridates seems to think so as well. So he takes the babies, 
does the swap with the clothing and brings the already stillborn baby out to the wilderness. He puts it in a place and leaves it there for three days, after which he calls on Harpagus and says, All right, man, the baby's dead. Come check it out. Harpagus doesn't want to see it himself, though, it turns out, so he sends some of his trusted eunuchs to go check it out. They see it, and they give it a royal burial. Now, if you're starting to think, Hey, Jonathan, what the hell was that intro story all about? Nobody's been whipped yet. Well, this shit is about to turn up to 11. Now we're going to fast forward about 10 years. The cowherd son, in heavy quotations, is doing well. Him and a few of his friends in town are hanging out, and they all decide that he should be the king of the little group. They're playing this game, and he instinctively picks up what it is to be a king. He immediately hires bodyguards and farmers and the eye of the king. And there's this one little shithead who's just not doing what he's told. So he tells the other kids, go get that dude and bring him to me. And when they do, he whips this kid. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? This is the craziest fucking child play I've ever heard of. Every time I read this part, I start laughing at how absurd it is. So this little nerd goes running home to dad. I bet his name is Skylar or something like that. But he goes home and tells his well-to-do father about what happened. This dude is a noble mead, and he runs directly to the king and says, Astyages, are you going to let one of your slaves' childrens do this to such a noble house? And Astyages is sitting there like, Oh god, not this shit. I'm the king. I shouldn't have to deal with this petty stuff. Well, I'll call the cowherd and his son in, and I'll get to the bottom of this, okay? Mitridates and the boy come before the king, and Astyages says, What are you doing? Why did someone so low like you think that you get to act so highly? And the boy says, Your Highness, I was elected to be king, you see. This boy who I whipped even was part of the election. Everyone wanted me to do this, so I treated it like an honor and bestowed upon them what they deserved. Astyages is looking at the boy, and he's starting to maybe do that thing, that paternal thing, where you start to notice your own characteristics in a baby. He's going, hold on, ten, ten years ago, when did I say that my daughter's child had to die? What the fuck? It's starting to mess with him. So much so that he just wants to get the noble mead and his shitty little son out of the room. So he says, hey, you guys get out of here. I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. You guys will be happy with the result, okay? Shoo, shoo, go, go. So the king takes Mitridates, the boy's air quote, father, aside and says, hey, whose kid is this? And Mitridates is like... <laughs> He's mine, like my wife and I had him and I've been raising him since he was born. And the king's like, listen, dude, I'm going to give you this like one opportunity to tell the truth. And if you don't, it's not going to be good, okay? And Mitridates is like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Here's what the actual situation is. And he spills his side of the story. 
Astyages is predictably not so pleased. So he calls Harpagus in so he can see what the hell is really going on here. When Harpagus gets there, the king says, Hey dude, how the fuck did you kill that baby again? And Harpagus sees Mitridates and knows that it's no good to lie right now. So he tells the king his side of the story. Astyages is now privy to the whole story. He looks at them both, and in a total plot twist, acts like he's actually relieved. He says that the death of this baby has haunted him, and he felt like he did his daughter wrong by killing this baby. So really, even though these guys disobeyed him and that's not cool, he's happy with the situation now. Astyages says, Hey Harpagus, don't you have a kid around this age? Why don't you go home and get him, send him over here to play, they can hang out and get introduced, and then later I want you to come back and we're going to have a feast to honor the fact that my grandson is actually still alive. Harpagus, quite relieved that he wasn't going to be punished, went home and followed the king's orders, sending his son over to meet the boy. But as it turns out, Astyages was playing his cards pretty close to his chest. He was actually furious about the situation. When the son of Harpagus came over to play, the king actually had him slain. And then he was cooked into several different dishes. Aside from his head, hands, and feet, which were put into a separate basket. Every other guest at the party had traditional meats served to them aside from Harpagist, who unbeknownst to him, was eating his own son. After the meal was through, Astyages asked how Harpagus liked his food. He said, it was great, I had a really good meal. And at that point, that extra basket filled with the head, hands, and feet of his young son were brought in front of him. Harpagus opened it, and Astyages says, do you know what you just ate? Harpagus does not react at all. He just says, yes, and it was deserved. He gathered the rest of the meat that he didn't eat and the basket and brought it home to bury his son. A short time after this happens, Astyages sends to the Magi again and says, hey, what was that whole thing with the boy being a king? And the Magi says, well... It only said he would be a king once, and he's already been a king in the town to these kids, so I guess you really don't have to worry. Astyages says, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I thought too, man. (sighs) Wow, I'm going to send this kid back to his parents in Persia because what I did was not a very good grandfather thing to do. Now, on his way back to Persia, the king's escort told the boy the whole history and how this all came to be, and how his mother and father were not really his mother and father, and he's actually of royal blood. Once he gets to Persia, Mandani and Cambyses are, like, really pumped to have him, probably a little confused, but very excited, and they decide to name him Cyrus. Years pass, and Cyrus is gaining a lot of popularity in Persia. Meanwhile, Harpagus 
is convincing some of the noble Medes that maybe Cyrus would be a better leader than Astyages. Harpagus sends a letter to Cyrus in a very clever way. He takes a rabbit and gently cuts its belly and stuffs the letter in the paunch of the belly, sews it back up, gives it to one of his friends dressed as a trapper or hunter, and sends him to Persia. Once he gets to Persia, he gives the rabbit to Cyrus and says, Hey man, I think that you should gut this rabbit, and I also think that maybe you should do it alone. Apparently, Cyrus did not think this was that weird for some reason, so he did it. In the letter, Harpagus says to Cyrus, We both deserve revenge on Astyages. He tried to kill you, and he did kill my son, so... I really just think maybe you should start a revolt in Persia. And then when Astyages tells me and my dudes to go take care of that shit, well, we just won't. This didn't sound so bad to Cyrus. So he had to think of a way to convince all of the Persians to be on his side. He told them that he had been made a general of Astyages and that he was in control of these men. And the first day he said, I want you guys to do all these chores. I want you to clear this patch of vines and crazy spiky shit, okay? And they did. And then on the second day he said, hey, let's all go to the baths and just hang out and relax. At the end of the second day, Cyrus said to the men, hey, which day did you prefer? Day one, where we were working? Or day two, where we were just like mad chillin'? And obviously all the dudes were like, uh, probably just like the more relaxing day, I guess. Then Cyrus says, once we start this revolt, we can always be living like this. We don't have to be slaves anymore. We could rule over the Medes. Astyages hears about this activity and sends for Cyrus to come before him at once, to which Cyrus being a total fucking badass, replies, Oh, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be there sooner than you think. Now, apparently, Astyages has kind of a shitty memory when it comes to wronging his friend Harpagus, because in a total idiotic move, he puts Harpagus in charge of being the general to stop the revolt. Obviously, he just doesn't. The rest of the Medes start to kind of give up and start to desert because they just see it's a lost cause. Astyages is super pissed off again and calls the Magi in and punishes him by killing him as if it was his fault that all this happened and not the guy who ordered the child to be murdered. Astyages ends up falling into the hands of the enemies. At this point, Harpagus gets in his face and is like, how do you like it? How do you like being a slave when once you were a king? And Astyages just looks at him confusedly like, what do you mean? What, what did you have to do with this? This isn't your victory. And then Harpagus lays it out like, yeah, dude, I planned this whole thing. All because you made me eat my child. But Astyages just calls him a fool because now instead of a Mede ruling, the Persians are going to take over. And that's how the 35-year reign of Astyages comes to an end. However, he didn't get put to death. Cyrus kept him on his court for the rest of his life. Sometime later, a dude named Croesus attacks Cyrus. 
Cyrus wins and finally becomes the master of all of Asia, making his grandfather's dream come true. But instead of piss or vines, it was just a dude, a dude named Cyrus, who ended up becoming Cyrus the Great, the leader and king of the Achaemenid Persian Empire. Oh, hey guys, the episode is over, but you're still here, which is good because I have a little bit of extra stuff I want to say. First off, thank you to anyone who's listened to both of the episodes so far, and a special thank you to anyone who's given it a review or a rating or told their friends. That kind of stuff can be super helpful for a new podcast because it puts me a little bit higher on the queue when people are looking for new stuff to listen to. Secondly, I'd like to let everyone know that I got an email and an Instagram for the show. You can find the Instagram at at repeatinghistorypodcast, and you can find the email at repeatinghistorypodcast at gmail.com. If you guys have any questions or comments or any cool ideas for some future episodes that maybe you want covered, uh, you know, shoot me a message and hopefully I can check them all and respond to them all. And maybe I won't because, you know, maybe your idea sucks or maybe I have a life outside of podcasting, you know, not, not much, but there's something there. I have a dog. Anyway. Lastly, I'd like to say that the podcast is going to be coming out on a bi-weekly schedule. Every once in a while, like next week, I'm going to release a shorter little interim episode that kind of just keeps you guys, you know, satiated and covers a cool story that is neat, but doesn't necessarily deserve its own full episode. So that's pretty much it. Now I'm done. My name is Jonathan Penchoff, and you have been listening to Repeating History. episode was written and produced by me, Jonathan Penchoff, and the theme music was composed by Dave Regan. And thank you guys for checking it out. I'll see you next week.